And welcome to the David and Raul Show podcast. Good morning, Raul. Good morning, David. How's it going? Not too bad. This is the first time in a long time that we're recording an episode on a Saturday. Because we haven't recorded an episode on a Saturday since we moved over to remote recording. We had previously, when we were doing it in person, we would record on, on Saturdays. But this is the first time that we're actually, we changed up the schedule this week for recording purposes so that we're recording on Saturday. And I'm sure it's going to mess my whole weekend because I'll think it's Sunday all day and be like, oh, no, I got to go back to work tomorrow. And nope, I don't have to. So definitely yeah. things switched up a little bit. But hey, why not switch it up once in a while? Yeah. And also we're recording it much earlier than we normally do. Usually we're recording about an hour later. So right now the sun is just really starting to rise it's a nice, sunny, it's going to be a warm day. We're going to get a high of like in the mid-80s today or something like that. In other words, it's wake up with the David and Ronald show. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have to start doing that uh, weekend show or something. Perhaps. We'll just wake up earlier and then just do a really early early thing like they usually do on those talk shows. And they're what up in the morning at 7. They have a show at 8 or 9. And you just talk about all the, the breakfast morning stuff and then get people on to their afternoon. Yeah, exactly. That that would be fun to do. It would also be a massive undertaking given how much work goes into producing like one of these episodes. Definitely. And we're not even able to, to get them done like on a weekly basis because we have such busy schedules in general. So it's it's kind of like a tough sell to do it. It would be great to be able to do something like that, but it's also a tough sell to do that. Definitely, exactly. But hey, you never know. One day we might be able to do that or maybe we can do a mini series where we dedicate ourselves for a few weeks and we just do a little a little bit of that. Yeah. So speaking about that, we just had our second year anniversary for the podcast on September 15th. So it was two years ago when we started the podcast and actually when we actually launched our first episode, when we had our inaugural episode. But it was really a whole year before that that we went through the planning. And there's a whole episode where we talk about the origins of the podcast. So you can go back and check that out. But we had originally planned on doing something special for the two-year anniversary that was also going to be timed with the 50th episode. And, of course, then with this, you know, COVID and everything going on, it's kind of thrown the schedule around and the planning around. There was a lot of back-end testing and preparation that we would have had to do, which we haven't had time to do. And we haven't quite hit our 50th episode yet either, so the, the schedule has been a bit off. Where we I think, had a like, bit skewed, I would say, but yeah, hey, I mean, with everything is, going on. Right, this is going to be episode 48, so we're just two episodes shy. So maybe by our 100th episode, we'll be ready because we'll have, have like 52 more episodes to go and prepare. Yes, hopefully at that point, we can really call it post-COVID at that point. Yes, hopefully that will be the case. So we have a lot to talk about in today's episode, so let's get right into it. Apple had their special event for September, and we know that usually these September events are dedicated to iPhones and certainly they did announce new iPhones but they also announced some other things so let's get right to the first item that they had talked about which is the updated they call it a new iPad but it's really a refreshed entry-level iPad the 10.2 inch iPad and they've done a lot of things over the years with the iPad the entry-level iPad because when you go back to the first generation it had a 9.7 inch screen you and I both had a second generation one of those iPads, and those were a little bit bulkier, a little bit heavier. Like I said, it just had that 9.7-inch screen, and they eventually were able to take that form factor and bring it up to a 10.2-inch, 
so that you have more screen real estate. But they've done some other things as well with it. One of the things about the entry-level iPad is it sticks with that classic design, so you have that home button still, but you have that larger screen real estate. They did bump up the chip, so it's now an A13 Bionic chip, so faster, improved performance. The upgraded camera is probably the big thing, the 12-megapixel ultra-wide FaceTime camera, which now supports center stage. And that's something that you've been using on your, on your iPad Pro, and you love it. Because oh, I love it. it. Literally, it follows you. Exactly. It, it's really like having your own TV production when we're talking to each other, where I can move back and forth without worrying that, oh, now you can't see me. And look, it's happening right now because I shift right. a little bit. But it's pretty good in terms of how it detects you and moves and make sure that you're in the center of the screen, which is really, really exactly. Cool. Yeah, it focuses that attention on you. So if you were to do a production, it's going to follow you. And if we were going to do something, for example, like what I was talking about at the beginning about, well, you know, we, we can, I guess, kind of explain what we we're going to do. We we're going to try for this uh, anniversary. We we're going to do a not just an audio recording, but a video recording that we would eventually post up to YouTube and whatever. So you could watch the episode. But, you know, in doing that, we would have to go do all the camera testing and and that. And with a traditional, you know, if you use something like a Sony Alpha camera, which is what I use for a lot of the videos I create, it doesn't follow you with the video. I mean, it has like the face lock so that it can kind of keep an eye on your face, but it doesn't follow you like how center stage works where if you had to move around, and granted, we'd probably be sitting down recording audio. We're not going to be walking around, but it would follow you and follow those movements, which would be great. But if you are doing something like a live production, then it would be very helpful for that camera to continue to pan. Maybe you're doing a cooking show or, or something like that. Or if you're vlogging, and you're moving around, it would be able to follow you. Right, so or I even giving a demo of, of something, unboxing, you tend yeah. to move back and forth. So it's really good that it could just follow you. You don't need an extra person to be your camera person. Exactly. So it, it's really helpful for creators if you're kind of that one-person show where you're doing everything yourself, and you want that more personal feeling, more personalized feeling where the camera is following along rather than having it a steady shot the entire time. That can be quite helpful going back to the entry-level ipad it adds true tone support it still supports the first gen apple pencil one thing that is an important note is if you love that 3.5 millimeter headphone jack that's the only ipad left with it all the other ipads no longer support the 3.5 millimeter headphone jack unless you use an adapter it will ship with ipad os 15 and just to note, we'll jump real quickly for anyone who's interested. I mean, by the time this episode goes up, these will all be, be available. But September 20th is the release date for iOS 15, iPad OS 15, Watch OS 8, and TV OS 15. So September 20th. By the time this goes up, it will be probably five or six days later. But hopefully, if you are looking to update your devices, you'll be able to do that. I'm not big on like updating as soon as it comes out because there tends to be that, number one, the Apple servers are slow. They're going to be boggled by everyone hitting them all at once. But the other thing is, you know what? I want other people to try it and make sure there are no bugs because we remember some years ago there were all sorts of like little quirks. And every year there's small quirks. But there was the one year where I think it was with Apple Mail 
that if you were connecting to an exchange server, it didn't work properly, and you had to wait until they fixed it. And I remember having to switch over to Microsoft Outlook, the app, for a while before they had that bug resolved. I think it took like a week or two before they fixed it. So I'm usually not going to be, let me just jump on board and, and update immediately. I'll normally wait maybe a week or two so that the servers aren't as bogged down, so that other people have tried it and that there are no bugs. Your thoughts? I'm actually the reverse these days where I just want to get the new stuff and see how it's going because there's a reason that they are doing major updates, right? And you sort of get tired of seeing, all right, well, I've had this iOS version for a while. Let's see what new is there. And sometimes there are these extra little features that seem pretty cool. So you want to just jump in and get it. And I don't mind it. I mean, yeah, there are going to be issues. Over the years, we know you're going to have certain issues. People complain about battery drain all of a mm-hmm. sudden because it's a new iOS, this and that. Yes, you'll have some bugs, but is there a way to work around it? Absolutely. So I just like to just go right into it. Is it slow on the first day? Yes. So what I do is I just let it start downloading and go about my business. And once it's ready to install, then I'll go ahead and install it. But just let it run in the background and... Set it and forget it, I guess. That's the way I look at it. Right. I mean, there were a couple of iOS updates where I did do fairly close to launch. And I think it was more because I was experiencing with the most recent, you know, patches and updates. You were seeing already iOS. issues, so why yeah, not just the, Yeah, jump the device in. was not working as well, and I was just hoping that the new version will kind of give it that clean slate. Where you might want to tread a little bit more carefully is usually like Mac OS, because if there is certain software that you need to use, especially for business, you want to be careful because if those pieces of software aren't fully up to date, and sometimes at the last minute before it goes to the final production, if they make changes, you want to be careful because if all of a sudden it was supposed to support this software but now no longer supports it, you know you don't want to update or upgrade and then find out that, oh, the software that I need doesn't work yet. It was kind of like switching from Intel to M1. Big deal because all these software manufacturers had not yet updated so that their apps were native to M1. And even now, not everything is is native to M1. Certain Adobe applications are still not native to M1. So you're going to still see issues like that. Even when they made the initial switch from the PowerPC to Intel, the big issue was everything wasn't as smooth. And then gradually, as you phase out the need for Rosetta, everything was native to Intel, and everything worked well with Mac OS X then you have that alignment where everything works the right way. So now you kind of have that same issue. We're going from Intel to M1, and they have to do the same thing. Now you have Rosetta 2. So things that are not native to M1 are running in Rosetta 2. And so in that particular scenario, the machine doesn't kind of function as smoothly. I think once we get fully to everything is M1, everything is designed to natively run in M1, then it's not going to be as much of an issue. Everything should hopefully run much more smoothly. But I do notice that periodically when I'm dealing with software that's not native to M1 yet, that I'm running into those issues on the M1 MacBook Air. It's not a big deal, but you run into those quirks, and if you have like a lot to get done, that just kind of interrupts your workflow. Absolutely. You have to look at your use case, really, right. and see, well, how critical is this device to your day-to-day. If it's very critical, then obviously you should really wait and and hold off and see what everyone else says. But sometimes you just want to jump the gun and just do it. But I definitely agree with you from the Mac side or even a Windows device. You definitely want to wait for that. 
But when you're talking about more of the mobile device, the iPads, things like that, tablets, you could probably jump the gun a bit sometimes. But again, use case. Yeah, most of the app manufacturers, they're going to update their, because right, even now, every single time that iOS and iPadOS has an update, a major update, or even a minor update, all of a sudden, daily, you're getting all these software updates. And even not necessarily that case, almost every day now, I go into to my iPad or my iPhone, and there's a new set, a new batch of app updates that have to be downloaded and installed. So I think you're going to get that flow. You're going to get a bigger flow once the new versions come out. But I think there are a lot of apps that are preparing for the launch on Monday, so they're kind of updating their apps now to make sure everything is as up-to-date as possible to be as compatible as possible for anyone who's updating to iOS 15, iPad OS 15. But then post-update, there are going to be a bunch of updates that come through as well. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Back with Windows, they used to get criticized so much that they would have patch after patch after patch or zero-day vulnerabilities right. and this and that. Whereas back then, Apple didn't really have too many. They didn't have to patch or they weren't getting hit. Right. But nowadays, because it's more out there, right? More and more people are using it now. They're getting targeted by hackers and all these vulnerabilities that are out there. So they are in that same boat from that many years ago that Microsoft was in. They're getting affected just as much now as it used right. to be, you know, than it used to be back then. So it's very interesting how things change up. And we've used to all say from the IT side, yeah, it's because not as many people are using it, but as more people start adopting it and using it in their day-to-day -day lives, and it was more that the cost of Apple devices way back when, I mean, not to say they're cheaper now, right? But it's more affordable to people because of the different options. It used to be more on the corporate side. Now you have more and more people using it for their day-to-day -day activities, and they're getting hit just as badly as Microsoft does. Right, right, exactly. All right, so let's get back to that entry-level iPad. It's available in 64 gig and 256 gig configurations, space gray and silver, and there are Wi-Fi and cell models. It still uses the lightning connector, but it includes a USB-C connector, the cable pretty much, a lightning to USB-C cable and the 20-watt USB-C power adapter. Starts at 329. Pre-orders began on Friday the 17th and they become available on Friday, September 24th. And to note, the 64 gig is double the storage that they had in the previous generation. So overall, this is still a pretty good entry-level iPad. I think they're continuing to make it better. It might not have the latest chip, but it still has a much faster chip. You're getting more storage. You're getting center stage support. It still supports the first-gen Apple Pencil. So if you're looking for something that has decent screen real estate that will be affordable and that still gets the job done, this, I think, is still a pretty good entry-level iPad to get. Yeah, absolutely. We may call it more like the hand-me-down type features from the, from the Pro and everything else like that, but that's expected, right? right? There's a reason there's a Pro and there's just the iPad. It's more affordable, but it's slowly getting some of those newer features. Maybe not everything, but hey, it got center stage, which is a pretty new feature. Right. But again, it's, it's slowly getting there, but you have to understand that, hey, this is more for that general use versus the iPad Pro. So very happy to see that they've improved it significantly. Yeah, definitely. Probably my favorite product is the next product I'm going to talk about, which is the new iPad Mini. Because this, I think, 
got really the most significant upgrade. So let's start off with the first major change is the display. No more home button. So you remember all those previous versions that had the home button that mimicked the 9.7 inch. And this is how they started off. The iPad was a 9.7 inch. The iPad mini was a 7.9 inch. So it's just the reversal in sizes. It was a great way of kind of giving you the logic of how the display worked. But this is the first new generation of iPad mini where you have the full display. No more home button. They do include touch ID in the power button that's on the top of the device. But in addition to that, we now go from the 7.9 inch screen to an 8.3 inch liquid retina display in pretty much the same form factor. Thinner bezels, like I said, they have the touch ID on, on top where the power button is. So that's a major change. This is something that we haven't seen yet on the iPad mini. So they're now taking it from the classic design and moving it into the modern design. We give you more screen real estate, and we take away that, that home button so that you really, you're getting you know pretty good bang for the buck here. Next, they have the A15 Bionic chip, which is the latest chip. So you're getting much faster performance, much improved performance. Six-core CPU, five-core GPU, 16-core neural engine. So you're really getting the latest and greatest in terms of the chip here. Again, it gets that upgraded camera, 12-megapixel ultra-wide f2.4 aperture FaceTime camera with that center stage support. And then you have on the rear side the 12-megapixel-wide f1.8 rear camera, new speaker system, USB-C connectors. So they, they're getting rid of lightning from that generation of iPad mini. It's going now over to USB-C. I do note again, no 3.5 millimeter headphone jack. So if you need 3.5, you need to get a USB-C to 3.5 millimeter adapter. Or you can, of course, use AirPods or other Bluetooth uh, headphones or earphones for it. 5G support, four new colors. They got pink, purple, starlight, space gray. Available in 64 and 256 gig configurations. You've got the Wi-Fi and cell models. You have brand new smart folio covers that will match the colors of the iPad. And you have support for the second gen Apple Pencil. It starts at $499 with the 64 gig configuration. Again, pre-orders started on September 17th. They're available September 24th. And this really, I think, is the device that was probably the most memorable for me, mainly because of the significant changes in it and that you're getting pretty good bang for the buck in this smaller form factor device. They're trying to give you as much improvement as possible in just this really small form factor. And it just kind of reminds me of, you know, you watch years of Star Trek and having these small little pads in hand, and this is, this is that device. So you say that, and you remember I bought an iPad mini the year it came out because yeah. I fell in love with it, but... I, I, that was the first generation one, so it had the same specs as the iPad 2 that I had. Right. So much lower for that generation, but I loved it because of that size. And I said, this is the one that you can travel with because it's smaller, it's lighter, and it just had those features for which I didn't want to carry the, the larger iPad at that time. Right. It was heavier. So I did love that this one has come out. They fully redesigned it, very modern. I got to say, it did pique my interest again, thinking, 
ooh, do I want to get one of these? I know I just got an iPad Pro, but hey, there are differences in the use cases for each one of these. Right. But definitely I agree with what you said. This was the standout item from that day. Yeah, I mean, I go back, and I've, I've told the story before. I start off with the second-gen iPad with the 9.7-inch display. I loved that, and I used that all the time until, you know, it got slow, and then I decided to upgrade all the way to the 12.9-inch iPad Pro. And that was great, except for when I'm using it at night, and you're just kind of relaxing or whatever, and you have this huge 12.9. So you have this the great wrist-breaking iPad. Yeah. Exactly, because it's great when it's it's sitting on a table or, or a desk or something, and you're using it that way with the larger screen real estate. But to hold it in your hand for a prolonged period of time, for a couple of hours to just relax and read and watch videos and things like that, doesn't work well. And that's why I ended up when I decided to get a new iPad to get the iPad Air, because one, it was less expensive. It still offered more screen real estate than the 9.7. I think the iPad Air is something like 10.9 inches, so it's close to that 11-inch iPad Pro. But it's lighter, it's sleeker, and it also, you know, connects to the new smart keyboard. So I can have that, and I use that all the time. But again, sometimes, like, if you're at night and you just want to use something that's light and simple to hold, something like this iPad mini is even lighter. It's bigger than your phone because you know that the iPhones aren't that light. Like, iPhone 12 Pro Max is it's a, a great phone. It's a bit hefty. Yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, it's a bit heavy still to, to hold in your hands. And then the screen real estate, as much as it's nicer... It's like at night, you maybe want something a bit larger, but you don't necessarily need something really large either if you're going to hold it for a prolonged period of time. Absolutely. A lot of times, I'm watching TV, and I need to do a few things. Holding the phone, yeah, it's a bit smaller than you want to, or you know me, and shopping on Amazon. I'm usually on that Amazon app looking for the (laughs) next thing I want to buy, get my two-day shipping, but at the end of the day, it is much better, and the other bit that got me was, again, that support for the second-generation Apple Pencil, which magnetically attaches. And you remember when they first came out with that, I said, oh, I have the first-gen Apple Pencil. I'm always leaving it somewhere, so whenever I want to use it, it's always somewhere else. But because it can be magnetically attached, it's great because it's always there. So I think that was one of the reasons I didn't use it as much as I wanted to. It was great when it started, but with that always there and it's connected, it makes you want to use it even more. Right. And, you know, they have these great colors. This is one of the things that attracted me with the iPad Air was the colors. Because the colors, yeah, the device is the same. So whether it's space gray or it's, you know, whatever other color it is, it's the same device. But just sometimes you want something different. Because you get used to, okay, everything is space gray. Everything is silver. Everything is this color. Let me just get something else that brightens up, you know, the day when when you're using it. So... Definitely, I think this was the the big thing that attracted me during the recent event. So next up is the Apple Watch Series 7. And for me, as they were kind of going through it, there were some, you know, some nice things that they talked about. For example, you start getting that additional screen real estate. So they're getting those bezels smaller. So I think it's like the border. It was 20% more screen area. So much smaller borders. It's a wrap-around case, so you have edge-to-edge. Right. And that allows for 50% more text. In addition, you get a full keyboard on there. Right. Which is pretty awesome, I got to say. True, it's going to be a small keyboard. And you're you're poking at it probably with your pinky. But they do have swipe or type, which 
I think as you get used to it, you can do it. Because if you think of the old days of your smaller phones and the way you were just typing on that right. itself, I think you can get used to it, especially when you have that more real estate and that edge-to-edge design. Right. Because I rarely respond on my Apple Watch because it's not the easiest thing. You do have to like stop standing in a corner and really respond in a certain way. It has to be really short responses. So you can't really be typing anything. Not that you're going to be typing a, you know, any sort of novel on your Apple Watch and responding. It'll still probably be quick responses. But still, it might be a little easier just to tap certain letters on a keyboard than to have to draw your letters and see if your watch picks up what you're trying to trying to say. It does give you like some options, like some presets as to how to respond. But sometimes those aren't like the right response that you want to give. They seem a little insensitive depending on the situation. <laughs> it's like okay. Yes, no, you know, that sort of thing. Right. But again, those are for quick answers, right? If someone is saying, hey, are you close to where we're meeting for? You could say yes or no, things like that. You don't necessarily have to write out something entire. But I I get what you you mean with that one. But I think there are certain cases for which that's why you would be using your watch to respond versus your your phone. Right. It's also up to 70% brighter indoors. You have new watch faces, improved durability. 33% 33% faster charging with USB-C charging cable because the current cable right now is the traditional USB cable. So you're going to get much faster charging, all-day battery life for 18 hours, five new aluminum colors, green, blue, product red, starlight, midnight, new watch band. It's compatible with watch series six accessories, and it will be due out later in the fall. So they don't have a, a date yet as to when it's going to be out. But... It will be out later this fall. All right, so let's move on to the the big event, which is iPhones. So they announced the four new iPhones, iPhone 13, iPhone 13 mini, iPhone 13 Pro, and iPhone 13 Pro Max. And, I mean, overall, I think there are the usuals, which is A15 Bionic chip, 6-core CPU, two high-performance, four efficiency cores, on the iPhone 13 iPhone 13 mini, you have a four-core GPU. And here, here we go again with the, the GPU is how we break it out. So the, on the 13 and 13 mini, you have the four-core GPU, 16-core neural engine. But on the Pro and the Pro Max, you have the five-core GPU. So that's really the major difference in terms of the chip. Four-core GPU versus a five-core GPU. The CPUs are still six-core CPUs. In the iPhone 13 and the mini, cameras have a diagonal layout rather than the vertical layout that the previous generation has. You have the colors pink, blue, midnight, starlight, product red, ceramic shield front, glass back, aluminum design. It comes in the 128, 256, and 512 gig configurations. The sizes are the 5.4 for the mini, 6.1 for the 13, super retina XDR displays, new improved cameras. I think the big thing this time around is the cinematic mode better battery life the iphone 13 starts at 7.99 iphone 13 mini starts at 6.99 pre-orders began friday the 17th and become available on september 24th with the iphone 13 pro and pro max you now have the major differences colors you have graphite gold silver sierra blue you have a ceramic shield front textured matte glass back stainless steel design so you can see On the pros, we have the stainless steel. On the non-pros, the aluminum design. 
the storage configurations, 128, 256, 512, and now they have a one terabyte configuration. And there's always a little bit of like, you know, people are wondering like, why do you need 112 of storage? And it's really for creators, people who are going to be shooting like high-end video and leaving it on their phone. Those are the people who are going to, to need more, a lot more storage. If you're not going to be shooting a lot of video or a lot of content, then you probably don't need a lot of storage. Well, add it to, I guess, the key features here, right? Cinematic both that they were talking about, fo- right. focus, transition, promotion, adaptive frame rate. So right. I'm sure that with all of those and you're starting to use that, if you really are going to be recording those videos, you're going to need that one terabyte storage. Right, and exactly. The, the key focus for the iPhones this time around, like I think it was a few years ago, is around the camera and its capabilities for taking pictures and recording, right? right? There are a couple of new key features for the camera as well. They had the new options for the photographic styles, for example. So I think that was their key feature coming out of right. these new iPhones. Yeah, I mean, with the pros, what we're really pushing now is making them closer to high-end DSLR and mirrorless cameras, adding more functionality and also high-end video cameras so that you can do more with your iPhone. So they had a demo of this short film being created all with the iPhone, as they've done in it with previous generations as well. But you can literally shoot some pretty good cinematic films and that's where the push is for the 13 series is the cinematic push, being able to use these in scenarios where maybe you have low-budget films that need to be created in environments where you can't have a large crew and you can't have all these sophisticated cameras because these cameras are very expensive to have. They're expensive to rent if you need the high-end. But to be able to do a lot of this all on the iPhone 13 Pro series you know, adds that extra value then it makes it so much better. I mean, I've shot some videos using just my iPhone, and the videos look pretty good. Are they 100% up to par with using something like a high-end mirrorless APS-C or full-frame camera? No. But are they pretty close? Yeah, you can shoot some really good high-quality films and high-quality videos with the iPhone, and it keeps getting better. There's also going to be ProRes support with the iPhone 13 Pro and Pro Max. So for those people using ProRes... That's going to be big for them. And then you have the same, you know, better, longer battery life because they've kind of reconfigured the inside. So you have a larger battery. So you're going to get that extra battery life somewhere between, I think, one and a half to two and a half hours of of extra battery life. Two and a half hours more on the Pro Max and then one and a half hours on the Pro. Right. And then the iPhone 13 Pro starts at $999. iPhone 13 Pro Max starts at $1099. Pre-orders began Again, Friday, September 17th, they'll be available September 24th. It looks like with the issues with the chip shortage, that the good thing is that Apple did not raise any of the prices. The prices were pretty much on par with the previous generation. So that's going to be a positive. I was kind of monitoring in terms of what people were saying about ordering and you know, outside of the normal issues that people have with ordering. Generally speaking, it did very quickly you know, the dates for delivery started shifting into October. So I don't know where they are now, if they've gone past October, but likely that's going to be the case. I mean, every year we have this issue where just the demand is much stronger than the supply. But with this chip shortage, I think, you know, you have to take into account that that may have some impact. Though Apple seems to have been able to plan ahead and source the materials so that they seem to be, be able to fulfill much better than a lot of other companies right now. 
But again, we have to see once the actual fulfillment starts whether or not that holds true, whether or not people will be able to get their products. I know when you look at some other things, like I said, early in the year I had to get a new Lenovo laptop. And if I was trying to get anything that was custom configured, it was somewhere out about 12 weeks before it'd be available. And if you want to get something like the Surface Laptop Pro, uh, the Surface Laptop 4 from Microsoft, that's been virtually out of stock you know, after the first month that it came out. You know, they've been having some select products available, but if you're trying to get anything for business, you practically can't find find the products right now because they're literally so far back ordered that there's no ETA as to when you're going to get it. But at least from the Apple standpoint, it looks fairly like they've been able to source the materials so that there will be stock and people will be able to get the products they want. Whether or not that stays within a 30-day window is one thing because going into October, still within about 30 days, 40 days. But if it starts to push out to November, December, then we have to see really how far the push goes and and how that's going to look. All right. So... Is there anything that you want to add in terms of the entry-level iPad, iPad mini, the Apple Watch Series 7, or the iPhone 13 series so far? So nothing particular particular on the products, but there are two mentions I like to say from it altogether, which is one, the spec sheets that they put on the on display for Mm -hmm. each item that they went through. I think that was pretty cool because that hit all the high marks of what stands out. So I think having that spec sheet actually worked really well. It was, you know, very vibrant in color, but it just gives you the overall, all right, well, we just talked about this for the last few minutes. Here, here it is, just right, on the, the screen. Key, these are like the key features that really stand out. Exactly. And the other one was mainly, you know, what about that opening? It was a very energetic opening. The song was California Soul. And I think that helped to set a, a good precedent for the, for the whole event that it's just, it, it was very lively. Right. And I think that was a great way just to start it all off. And just gets you very excited for the event altogether. Now, sure, to be fair, it wasn't a whole big wow factor, but I think just kicking off with that was was pretty awesome. It was a good song to kick off with. Yeah, I think that they, since going virtual for a lot of these events, they've been able to really step it up so that there was more energy to it. And they're also bringing in more people. We go from, you know, back in the days when Steve Jobs came up onto the stage and he practically did, you know, majority of the event. And then... Eventually, you get some more people coming out on stage. Now, it's literally, okay, let's get as many people. And, you know, you keep in mind that this is also a pre-recorded event so that they can film it as many times as they want to get it right so that you have the right energy. So at least they had that consistent energy among all the presenters. Right, but well-produced overall yeah. where they just go from one area to another to another. So very well produced overall so i think that was just a great production in my mind even if the products were at all hey it's, it can't be a big wow factor every single year right yeah i think what would I think blow your well mind produced, that's great yeah what well, what would blow people's mind is at the very end if they surprised people and said this was all shot on iphone 13 pro max or something like that, that is actually what i was waiting for i was waiting for them to say something like that but they did it. Obviously, you can't do that type of production fully on just that. But maybe one day they will do that. So who knows? Yeah, it's very possible. I mean, clearly they're they're using drones to shoot some of the... The, the shots for the, which they were moving right. from one location to another. Exactly. So the, some of the, I, I, the I like high-level shots. Yeah, I mean, that was good. So you know that they had to use a drone. Not not to say that they couldn't attach an iPhone onto a drone and, and still shoot it off like a, an iPhone 13. But it would have been interesting if they literally shot the entire event 
So the entire event is shot on an iPhone and maybe the whole selection of iPhones. But I guess for consistency, you probably want to use one series so that you don't get inconsistent video. But to say that, oh, yeah, we shot this all on iPhone 13 Pro Max. And on top of that, then we edited it in the latest version of Final Cut Pro and on a on a Mac OS, you know, latest generation Mac OS, M1 machine and whatever. So it's like literally everything is within the Apple ecosystem. And that would probably be most mind blowing if they had actually done that. All right, so let's take a little step back and look back at what we got last year and what we got even earlier this year and compare it to what we're hearing in terms of these new products this year and what our thoughts are. So let's first look at Apple Watch Series 6 because we both got our Apple Watch Series 6 last year. And, you know, I really have no complaints with the Apple Watch Series 6. I don't see that, you know, just because Watch Series 7 is out that I would say, oh, yeah, I'm going to upgrade to Watch Series 7. I don't see, for my purposes at least, any reason to do that. I think my Apple Watch works perfectly well. I'm happy enough with the functionality and the capabilities that it wouldn't be, you know, just because Watch Series 7 is out, there's nothing there that would drive me to say, I need to upgrade right now. And then the other thing I want to mention is just the watch bands, which is last year when we are talking about Watch Series 6, my big thing was that I had gotten the solo loop, which is a loop that just slides in your on your arm, which is great. Generally, if you just want an easy band to slide on and off your arm, that's great. But eventually, I did have to get the Nike Sport Loop instead, which has the adjustable Velcro strap, because I started to find that being able to slip the band on and off your arm easily is great, but you don't get that comfort level versus getting something like the Sport Loop, which is adjustable, so it gives me much more comfort than just using the Solo Loop. So those are really my two two thoughts on watch series six i think similar similar thoughts there a couple additional ones where i feel disappointed over battery life where i feel that it it did drain a bit more than i was used to from my series three which i think i had and i think it has to do with the always on screen right so over, i told you this over the last few days i decided to just turn off the always on just to see what's the significant difference between the two and I actually found that it's not significant at all. You might save maybe 5 to 7% battery life. But overall, would I want to compromise that feature? No. I would rather just have it always on and just have to charge it a bit more often. To be fair, it does last me the day overall, right. and I really only have to charge it once. Unless I'm very active for that day and using my watch nonstop, then okay, that's a little different. But it's not a big enough issue that would bug me where I would say, oh, I need a brand new watch or anything else like that. I don't think that's going to change with the new series. I think it's going to be the, the same type of, I don't want to say issue, but same scenario there. Right. But overall, very happy with my existing watch. I wouldn't go out to buy the new one just because of the edge-to-edge display. Maybe the next generation one, I'll consider that one depending on what they improve on. Right. The other item that I mentioned way back when, when I first bought this watch, where I was always looking to get the perfect metal band and what was the greatest thing. And just going back on there, I had bought these bands from a company called Juke. They're jukedesign.com. And no way are they paying me to promote this, but I got to say that the, the bands have been really good. They don't scratch or anything else like that. At minimum, you see a little bit here and there, but they're pretty good, very sturdy. And I've been loving it ever since. So I highly recommend if someone's looking for a really nice band that you you get 
these juke ones. They're not too expensive. They're probably the the most expensive ones, maybe around 150 or so, if you're getting the the full steel one. But they have aluminums, aluminum ones as well, and, and they're they're pretty decent. Great. All right, so let's talk about iPhone 12 Pro Max because that's what we both got last year. And I mean, for for me, I've gotten used to having the larger phone. It to me, it's almost like standard now. This is the standard size, and I can't imagine going back down to definitely can't imagine going back to like a mini because that's like for me it would be my iphone 5 back then and i can't imagine going down to that or going to just like a 13 or even a a 13 pro because that would fall in the range of like an iphone 6 7 to an iphone 10 so for me it's i mean it's been fine it's worked really well i really like my iphone 12 pro max I do like some of the new features in terms of the 13, especially with the cameras and the new features like better macro photography, improved night mode and and low light photography and the cinematic mode. I like all of that in the 13, but again, I don't see any reason why I would, for me, jump to let me go get the iPhone 13 Pro Max this year. I think my iPhone 12 Pro Max is perfectly fine outside of the battery is like down to like 90% on my phone. Yeah, what is up with that? Less than what a year. is yeah. up with Th- that? How like is it that major... the battery health now has gone down? And I am at 90% as well now. I was, yeah. I think well, I, I was a, li- I I was a little better than mine. yours uh, over time where I think you were at 92 when I was still at 96. And then yeah. when I got to 92, then you got to 90. But I'm yeah, actually I'm still at 90, at 90 now. right now, fortunately. But yeah, that's my, my only worry is that the battery health has dropped a full 10% and I haven't even had this phone for over a year yet. So that would be like my major concern there. But other than that, I mean, I think that it works really well. The cameras are great. The performance is perfectly fine. I'll see how it handles with iOS 15 when it comes out and when I upgrade, but so far it's delivered and I don't really see any reason anything in iPhone 13 pro max or in the iPhone 13 series in general that would make me want to upgrade this year. I agree. I, I think if your profession is within dealing with videos and taking pictures, photography, maybe this one will be right for you. The new one will be right for you because of the additional features and that focus on that. But as for me, yeah, do I take pictures? Yes. Do we do some videos once in a while? Yes, but nothing to where I would need those features in particular. And again, the sizing I've gotten used to, you knew my original concern where it's like, how do you fit that in your jeans pocket? But you get used to it. It's been fine. Typing, hey, it's great on a larger screen. Yeah, I still have typos. I don't know how that's possible. I have the same problem I still have typos, even though it's a larger screen. I thought, hey, with the larger screen, I should not make as many errors, but I still make some. Probably not as many as I used to. And I was telling you the other day, too, for work, I have a a 10R. And for that one, trying to type on that, that's a nightmare now because it's so much smaller. You try to go from a big device to a much smaller device. It's so hard to type that I'm like, oh, no, do I have to upgrade that one now to a larger device so that I can properly type on that? To now, I I don't do too much typing on that. I have to go back to my computer and start typing and replying to emails. Right. All right. So then let's look at iPad. So I got an iPad Air last year, and my iPad Air was the sky blue. And again, that kind of goes with 
the idea of just kind of changing it up a little in terms of colors, not always going space gray or silver or any of the, the normal defaults. And it has the A14 Bionic chip. So it's only a generation behind in terms of, of the chips. It is the only iPad in the lineup that does not support center stage because it doesn't have the ultra-wide camera. So I think that's like the one thing. That's the one kicker about the iPad Air is that in the entire iPad lineup, every iPad, including the entry-level iPad, has that 12-megapixel ultra-wide camera that has center stage support, except for the iPad Air because it does not have that 12-megapixel ultra-wide. So that's like I'm the sure one thing. I'm sure in the next round they'll have it. Yeah, so that's like the one thing I don't have on the iPad Air. But other than that, I mean, my iPad Air is still brand new, works like new. None of the iPad OS updates has done anything to affect overall performance. The screen real estate is great because it does go almost edge to edge with the smaller bezels. It has the USB-C connector. It works with the smart keyboard with the pass-through USB-C. I'm using it right now to FaceTime to record this podcast. I've been using it for a lot of these episodes. I use it all the time. I mean, the keyboard is really what is the added benefit for me. If I need to, I can just take the iPad Air off the keyboard magnetic attachment and use it as an iPad. I almost never do that because there's like no reason to. I can just kind of have it with the keyboard and I can do whatever I need to do. And it has that versatility. Again, it's not a laptop replacement. So there are things that I still have to go back to a laptop that I'd rather just do on, on an actual laptop than to do on the iPad. But for content consumption and just about anything else, it works perfectly fine. So I don't see a reason why... I definitely don't see a reason why I would get an entry-level iPad because I have an iPad Air already. And I'm not going to do it simply because of center stage support That's or the A15 Bionic chip. The iPad Mini, like I said, that's the one thing that did kind of really stand out from this event. And because it has that larger screen real estate, it is nice and small and portable. There is that enticing factor, whether or not, you know, because it still starts at 499 for the 64 gig configuration. So 256, when you, even if you just get the Wi-Fi only model, it's close to $700 plus. That's probably like the kicker of whether or not you want to invest more money if you already have something that's fairly new. So I don't see myself doing something like that because that's more luxury than necessity. If there was a specific need for it, a functional need for it, it would make sense. But I think right now I don't, I don't see that I would be investing that much money into the iPad mini. I mean, obviously if it was something that I wanted to get that I could, necessity for then it would make sense but right now I don't see like a specific reason why I would spend the money or invest the money on that I could probably put that money elsewhere into a lot of other things than to tend to spend it that way right now absolutely agree like you say it's more like a luxury item for me I did get the the current generation iPad Pro so very happy with that everything you said with the air similar to this one where I'm loving this device I still have my old iPad Pro, which still runs fine. There are no issues with it, and I use it from time to time as well. And again, I think that one has become more like my travel iPad now right? versus the current generation iPad Pro. That one becomes the travel one, but there are no issues with it. There are no real performance issues. Sure, glitches here and there, 
But would I necessarily want to replace that with a new iPad mini? Again, that price factor does come in and 700 is pretty hefty. Maybe if it was more in the 500 range, okay, I might do it. But with it being 700 plus, you know, add Apple Care and if you want the pencil, you know, it, it just it just keeps going up and up and up. So maybe not this generation, but perhaps the next generation would be the the one to, to get that. Yeah, and also to note that the Pros, the iPad Pros, have the M1 chip. So you have that somewhat future-proofing built into them. So, it, you know, when you look at that, it's like you have not even, you're not even thinking about A15 Bionic chips. You have an M1 chip right now. So it's like it has a certain level of future-proofing. You know, the other thing to mention when you look at, like, the iPad Mini versus, like, the iPad Air is the starting price is only $100 difference. So the iPad Air, you're getting that larger, even larger screen real estate, and the 64 gig model starts at $599. Well, you know, I could get something with a little bit more screen real estate for $100 more. So do I want to get something like the Mini? Although the Mini, again, the Mini is for a specific use case, something where you want something even smaller than a standard size. And if you are looking at something that has a really small form factor for travel purposes, then the mini makes sense because you're not going to be able to attach a keyboard to it. You know, there's no smart keyboard for it. You'll have a smart folio, but there's no smart keyboard. Whereas the iPad Air, if you want to get that keyboard, then it's a better selling point to get that. And that's the reason why I opted for, for the Air was I was going to get the keyboard. So if I wasn't going to get the keyboard and I just needed something like a decent iPad, then yeah, I might go back and say, let me look at the entry-level iPad because that might make more sense for what I need because it's even, you know, it's a little cheaper because it starts at, at the 329 for the 64 gig model. So then it adds a little bit to it because it has that A13 Bionic chip. It's not the latest and greatest, but it's enough to do what I need to, to do on it. But when you start adding in, I want the keyboard. I want semi-future-proofing for at least a few years. Then I want something a little faster because I don't want something where eventually I'm not going to be able to use my device because it gets really slow. And I, I mean, look, I have the first-generation iPad Pro, the 12.9. The only thing wrong with it, outside of it being older, is that the 3.5-millimeter headphone jack broke. And again, I don't know how that happened. It just happened. One, one night I was using it, and my headphones would not connect to it. And that was the problem. Yeah, I don't know what's going on outside. I, someone must be throwing metal or aluminum or something so that that's making that's so loud that it's making it into the microphone. And there's no way I'm going to edit that sound out at this point because that happened as I was talking. So that's on the track. I can't filter that. But this yes. is what happens when you record live, right? You never know what might happen. Yeah, exactly. But going back to the 12.9, yeah, it still works fine. It still works really, really well, and you know maybe a little bit slower, but I don't really notice any significant difference that's going to affect my ability to use it. So I still have my 12.9, and then I have this iPad Air. So I just don't have a justification right now for investing in another device. If that 12.9 breaks completely, and I just have the Air, do I want to get something else for a different purpose? Maybe. I don't know that that's necessary either kind of just weighing those options to see what you're using it for and whether or not it's really necessary. Absolutely. That makes sense. All right. So the last thing we'll touch on here is what didn't happen at the Apple event. And, you know, we already expected that this was primarily going to be iPhones, Apple watches. I think the iPads were a little bit, 
I don't know if it's necessarily surprising. I think there were some rumors that they might talk about iPads, but generally iPads aren't always announced at a September event. But what didn't happen and which may still happen are those 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pros with the M1X or whatever the designation will be. I think there are a lot of people waiting to see if Apple is going to make that announcement, whether or not this chip shortage is going to cause any sort of delay. There were rumors early in the year that they are working on a redesigned MacBook Air that might be announced in 2022. But I think for this year, 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pros are still on the table. There's still plenty of time for Apple to hold an event either in October or November to talk about that and maybe even provide an update on any future Macs and MacBooks that may be coming out. I think there are also some thoughts about possibly new AirPods coming out or AirPod Pros coming out in another generation, whether or not that would be announced before the end of this year or early next year. Are there any products that have been rumored that you're considering or that you're thinking about or that you're looking forward to learn more about? I don't think anything in particular for this year for me. I think my biggest thing this year was mainly getting the new phone, right? watch, and the iPad, just to cover off what I've held off on for back-to-back years. Right. Right, so I think I've spent enough for one, but I don't think there's anything else that's really just enticed me to say, oh, I really want that, or I'm really interested in that. At least not yet, and I feel like maybe that's it for this year. 2022, probably a different story. Right. Now, in terms of your MacBook Pro that you have, now you've had that now for, what, a couple of years? Yep. And it's still it's still within the warranty period, I think. Right? It's still yes, within like the three-year warranty period. So you're still good there. And it was a, it had the touch bar. So it was it like the 13-inch MacBook Pro with the touch bar mm-hmm. with the four USB-C ports on that one. Yes, it does. Yeah, I think only the ones with the function keys had two. Yeah, I mean, I think that for the most part, you should probably be fine. It's, yeah, I mean, it's been running great. I haven't had any major issues with it. It's performing fine. It's doing what I need it to do. So definitely have at least a year or two more before I probably decide what I want to do. Though I may end up eating my words and say, oh, no, I want an M1 anyway. Right. You, know, it, you, you know how I could be where I see everyone else has something. Oh, maybe I do want that after all and use this for, for something else. But I really don't feel that that's going to come up. But I can only speak for up to maybe another year, and then we'll see where, where it takes us from there. Right. Plus, also, you use Parallels to virtualize Windows. And right now, because Microsoft hasn't actually released an ARM version of Windows to the public, it's only, only part of the Insider program that you can get it. And that's one reason why I haven't done any sort of virtualization with Windows on my M1 is because of that, because you're only getting kind of a beta version right now of Windows to try. What I'm looking for is an official Windows ARM version that I can load onto the M1 because I don't want to have to kind of go through beta testing to see you know how it works. I'm just more interested in looking at the final release to manufacturing, release the production version to use that. Because years ago, I did run Parallels on my... 2013 MacBook Air, and it didn't perform very well. It was kind of quirky and a bit slow, so I wasn't fond of it, and I didn't use it for long. I am hoping that on an M1 that it performs much better. I'm also kind of 
debating whether or not, like, if a 14 or 16-inch MacBook Pro comes out with, like, a new M chip, M-class chip, M1X, M2, whatever they call it, whether or not I would invest in that. Right now, I can do pretty much everything I need to do production-wise on the M1 because I didn't get a base level. I saw a digital creator who was talking about using the base level M1 for a lot of recent editing and it's kind of seeing a little bit of the lag on that. And yes, the base version, you may experience that because it also has uh, one less core in terms of the GPU. I think it only has eight gigs of RAM and I opted for the M1 with 16 gigs of RAM, the eight core CPU, eight core GPU. So this is pretty much relatively souped up to what I need it for. So there's definitely enough power. I do see some quirks sometimes using some of the Adobe software, but nothing that is a major turnoff or a major issue. Final Cut works fairly well on this, although I haven't been editing any large videos. When I was doing a lot of traveling and doing a lot of videos, I wasn't shooting anything in 4K. Reality is there still aren't a lot of people who are watching content necessarily all in 4K or have the technology watching 4K. So I just keep it to 1080p, 60 frames, and it works fine. I mean, even editing our podcasts in Logic Pro, it works fine. So I don't have any issues, and it actually works so much better than my 2013 MacBook Air because, of course, it was much older. It was not designed for it. It had 8 gigs of RAM. It had a Core i7. It was 7-plus years old. So obviously, it wasn't designed for what I was currently using it for. But the M1 handles really well, as is. The only thing is probably just not having the full screen real estate with a 14 or 16-inch screen, especially editing in Final Cut, because you have the narrow output screen, and then you have pretty much all your other property windows. So that's probably like the one downside. But other than that, I mean, I can do what I need to do. So it may give me the option of saying, let me hold off on a 14 or 16-inch, even if they announce it this year, hold off a year year and a half until the next generation 14 or 16 come out with the next chip. So if they release an M1X or M2, maybe wait for the M3, something with more power and that has been field tested because this is the first gen. And I had my reservations on getting the M1 MacBook Air initially. And I was debating, do I go Intel or M1? And I just said, you know what? I want a future proof to buy so that I would get the M1. I still have an old 12 inch 2016 MacBook. And I know that machine is just dying it just when it gets hot it just slows down it doesn't have the speed to handle things anymore it was great for traveling the years that i was traveling because such a small form factor to have but the reality is that now with that intel chip in there those mobile processors it just can't handle and the only thing i really use it for i use it for work and i run windows in boot camp on it because that's the only <laughs> intel mac i have now that i can run boot camp on so that's what I use it for. I can't run parallels in it because it's just too slow. It's not designed for it. So it's too slow for it. But I think eventually what may happen is my 12-inch MacBook gets retired. My M1 takes its place. And then if that's the case, then for production-wise, I might get like a 16-inch MacBook Pro M whatever class it is at that point. But I think I'm hoping that I can just kind of shift things because I did experience a few unexpected technology upgrades this year that I was hoping to hold off for another year, but you know, my Lenovo gave way and I had to get a new one and then I had to replace my MacBook Air. So I, if I don't have to invest any more money into technology for this year, I'll be happy enough not to do that. Is there anything else that you want to add to 
to today's episode? Anything else that you want to tie into what we've talked about? Yeah, I think while you're just talking about the MacBook Pro, one of the things that I moved over to earlier this year, you remember this one, moving to Kaspersky Internet Security because of us using previously Semantic. Right. And I told you I had some frustrations over some random Mac updates where they just wouldn't run. They just right. kept failing and failing and failing. And I couldn't figure out why some failed and why some actually worked. So I had told you this where I found out it was actually that I'm using in Kaspersky Internet Security the web camera blocking capability. Right. And when I stopped blocking it, the update went through. And you know how crazy I went trying to figure this out. I went on online forums. You know, no way am I a Mac expert. I had hopped well, from Windows into Mac. You can listen to that previous podcast talking about that. So you'll know I'm no expert at it. But I have found some forums where they said, well, use Terminal and run the software update command forced from there. And that will give you what the error is. And surely enough, I ran that in Terminal and you get this long string of what the error is, but somewhere in there, I see it was trying to update the Apple camera.plugin. So I thought in my head, oh, wait, hold on. I used this feature in Kaspersky to block the camera. Could that be it? So what do you know? Go ahead, stop the blocking, disable that, run the update, boom, goes right there. So if that helps anyone out there who just happens to have that same scenario, hey, I'm just putting it out there so that you know. I'm sure there'll be other items that come up with that. But I think now that I know I can just run this from terminal, I think that goes a long way because it's telling you, maybe it's hard to read through it, but if you look through it, you'll understand what is it that's not able to update. And then from there, you can probably figure out what might be blocking it or what might be causing it. So just throwing that nugget of information out there. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times antivirus software, malware protection, intrusion detection, as important as they are to protecting your computer, and you should have that software in place and reliable, reputable software. They can also cause a negative side effect, which is they may block legitimate services that you need. And that's why a lot of times when you're installing software, you'll get this little notice, make sure that you turn off those applications because they might prevent you from doing what you need to do. And the funny thing is that I just dis- I disabled the scan and all that stuff thinking, oh, it should be all disabled. But since those are separate features, right. those remain on. So even though I think, oh, I turned it off, that should be fine. It didn't actually do that. And that wasn't the actual case there. Right. It was that, yeah, separate option. You need to check that. So very interesting. But again, it's always a learning process. And it's great when you figure it out finally. It's like, oh, okay, now I can actually do updates or I can figure out how to resolve them. So Yeah. No, absolutely. It makes makes a lot of sense. We should probably at some point do a new episode where we revisit the time you made that switch from Windows to Mac and then take a look. We'll, we'll kind of rehash on that, on your thoughts there. But also, I think, take a look at kind of your learning experience over the last couple of years, kind of making that switch in terms of all the things that you had to learn or learn again or that you had to adjust to the things that you do like about the Mac over Windows, the things that you like about Windows over Mac, any sort of like limitations or challenges that you've had to face. Because I don't think we really touched on them in that episode. We kind of gave a general overview of making that switch. But I think now we can drill down a little bit more into your experiences and kind of the expertise or lack thereof 
in terms of certain areas with the Mac. And would you rather just be Mac only, Windows only, or a combination of the two? So I think that would be something that we should revisit in an upcoming episode. Absolutely. All right. On that note, thanks for listening to the David and Ron Show podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Mixcloud, and Verbal. You can also follow us on Instagram at the David and Ronald Show. You can still hear that noise in the background that is really troubling that I won't be able to edit. Until next time, we'll talk to you then. Thanks so much. Thanks, everyone. All right. Bye. Bye.